little confusion there on the, the doxology, stand, sit, you know. That's actually our gift to you if you missed leg day this week. You know, it's just a little extra, you know, to help you out. So, but today we are uh, shifting gears, uh, transitioning from the end of one sermon series uh, into uh, a series that we've been in for some time now in John's Gospel. We did uh, this Peaks of Grace series over the summer where we looked at different uh, events, significant events in, in biblical history that happened on top of mountains. Now we're back to John's Gospel. Uh, it's a series I've titled Believe. And the series name comes from John 20, uh, verse 31, which is actually on your bulletin cover. Uh, the, it's John's purpose for writing, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. These themes of belief and life and light are all major themes in John's gospel. That's why I chose the imagery of a light bulb to cover the light there. Uh, But don't be deceived into thinking that uh, this gospel is only relevant to those who have yet to be converted to the Christian faith. There's plenty here to nurture the faith of even the most seasoned Christians. And I, I really hope that you've found that to be the case as we've gone through John's gospel together to this point. Uh, St. Augustine is credited with saying this of John's gospel, it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in, but shallow enough that a child will not drown. Isn't that beautiful? I started this series back in January of 2022. Uh, and if you can believe it, to this point, I, I looked last night, 40, I've done 44 sermons in John's gospel so far. Uh, and Lord willing, I think I have about another 11 to get us to the end. So the end is in sight. I'm projecting to wrap this up just before Advent, uh, this fall, before the Christmas season. Uh, So for good or bad, in the minds of many people in our country today, the religious right is inseparable from politics. The left opposes Christian influence, fearing that if in power, Christians would pass laws that impose their morals, their values, and on those who don't share the Christian faith. And this may be an overgeneralization, but there's a camp on the right that believes if, if they can get enough Christians into positions of power, they can turn our country around for the good if we can become truly a Christian nation. And here's a great question to consider. What is the proper relationship between Christianity and political power? In our text today, Jesus will stand toe-to-toe with Pontius Pilate, a leader who represented the greatest political power the world had ever known up to that point in time. And this interaction will shed some light on the relationship between Christ's kingdom with the political powers of the day. So let's go to the Word of God now. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. If you need to use a pew Bible, uh, grab that in front of you. You turn to page uh, 1075. We're going to be in John 18, verses 28 to 40. And as soon as you're there, leg day isn't over. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. Out of reverence for God's Word, of course, uh, and under whose authority we stand, uh, we read while standing. Follow along with me. Verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. 
They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that it might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after this, after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of God. Pray with me. Father, may we treasure your word this morning as Job did, who treasured the words of your mouth more than his portion of food. For only your word can revive our souls and make us wise, even us who are simple. We ask you to make us wise and revive our souls this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So when we hit pause on the series back in June, Jesus had just been betrayed and arrested. He was betrayed by Judas, of course, arrested in the garden. Uh, Peter uh, just denied knowing Jesus three times as Jesus was questioned by the high priest. And now Jesus is being sent to the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. And this is where we find ourselves today. And we'll see here in this interaction that Jesus... uh, clarifies just what kind of kingdom he rules and just what kind of king he truly is. And then we're going to look at what this means for us. So here's my three points this morning. A different kind of kingdom, a different kind of king, and kingdom responses. So let's dive right in with a different kind of kingdom. In verse 33, Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? I notice how Jesus turns his back to Pilate in verse 34 when he asks, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? Two things are happening here. First, Jesus, and this is just so amazing because here here he is in weakness. 
He's bound. He's been beaten. He's under arrest. He's on trial. And it's Jesus who is now interrogating Pilate. Isn't that fascinating? He's the one being questioned, and he turns it back to Pilate. Jesus is supposed to be the one on trial, but really it's Pilate. And Jesus is after Pilate's heart. Did you say this about what you What do you think? Pilate, Pilate responds in verse 35, Am I a Jew? You see, from you see Pilate, Pilate, Jesus, Jesus had, had nothing to do with him. He's, 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 a, Roman. he's a Roman. Jesus was Jesus Jewish. Jewish. Jesus, Jesus wasn't his problem. problem. It's a Jewish, Jewish problem. problem. He even tried, he tried to punt it back, back to, to the Jews. Jews. You try and try and try and try and try and try and This is how this many, is how many treat, treat Jesus today. Jesus, today. Jesus, is, Jesus a is a Christian. He doesn't, he doesn't pertain to me. He doesn't have anything to do with me. He's not a Christian. But, but, but the truth is that everyone, Christian or not, must at some point decide what they think of Jesus. Either they write him off as irrelevant or they surrender to him as king. There's only two options. You either reject him we just surrender to him. This is a question all must answer. The, now, the second thing that's happened here is uh, Jesus smells this trap a mile away. He, he knows that the religious leaders who delivered him to Pilate, they know that he's not a political threat to Rome. They don't like him because he's threatening their religious power and their control over the, the, the people. But they need, in order to get him in trouble with Rome, they need to spin this in some way to get Rome's attention. Okay? Rome, of course, will not tolerate any threat to their, their political power. And so they spin it uh, in a way that makes Jesus appear to be a political threat. So the Jewish religious leaders uh, are, are trying to portray Jesus as this threat to Rome, as a, as a king who will challenge the rule of Caesar and we know this is the case because of what we see in chapter 19, verse 12, uh, where it says, From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. The Jews didn't care about Caesar's rule. They just want Jesus on the cross. So Pilate is trying to assess the threat level to Rome here. And so he asks, what have you done? What have you done? Are, are you organizing political rallies? Are you publicly challenging Roman rule? Are, are you stirring up Jewish national pride to organize some kind of rebellion? What have you done? Pilate's trying to figure out, are you a threat to Rome? So Jesus responds in verse 36, clarifying for Pilate that his kingdom is a completely different kind of kingdom. It's not of this world. He's not a threat to Rome. And, and, and Pilate recognizes this. But Jesus continues by adding that, that if his kingdom was of this world, then his servants would be fighting to protect him. But Jesus doesn't need protecting. Jesus is the one who fights for us. Peter misunderstood this at Jesus' arrest moments earlier in the garden. He draws the sword to defend Jesus, and Jesus rebukes him for it. This is because Jesus' kingdom is a completely different kind of kingdom. His kingdom does not advance by the political sword. 
Jesus doesn't want his servants taking political power in his name. He does not want war waged in his name or a Christian government established where Christians rule in Jesus' name. This is really interesting. Do you know where the most significant place in the world is where Christianity is in full retreat and dying? Where numerous churches are empty and where the majority of people have turned away from Christianity? It's in Europe. The only place where this experiment of a Christian government was tried for about a thousand years called Christendom. It's a sad reality. This whole idea uh, went against everything, really, that Jesus is saying here in John 18. They had churches that were supported by the power of the state, by taxes and by laws. These, These were churches where, in order to have influence or power in that society, you had to belong to those churches. You had to be a Christian. And this ended up alienating the masses, and the church eventually lost its political power. And there were generations of nominal Christians who only went to church because that was the only way for them to have influence in that society. So Jesus here is telling Pilate that his kingdom is no political kingdom. It's no threat to Rome. But then Pilate, picking up on Jesus' claim to actually have a kingdom, responds in verse 37, saying, so you are a king. If you have a kingdom, you must be a king. And Jesus basically affirms Pilate's words here, but goes on to explain that just like his kingdom is unlike any other kingdom, he is a king unlike any other king that Pilate could imagine. So let's consider how Jesus is a different kind of king in our next point. Jesus is not a political leader, but he affirms that he's a king. The contrast between Jesus, the king from heaven, and this Roman leader, Pilate, is fascinating. They're standing side by side. Pilate would do anything to have power and honor and glory. But Jesus laid aside his glory. Pilate valued only what he could touch and taste and see. Jesus taught that we are not to lay up for ourselves treasures on this earth. Pilate ruled by material manipulation, but in John 6, Jesus laments the fact that many only followed him because of what they could get from him. Pilate was dressed in fine governing robes, but the prophet Isaiah tells us that Christ had no beauty, that we should be attracted to him. Jesus explains to Pilate that he's a different kind of king, one who came into this world to bear witness to the truth. What does that mean? For starters, remember that Jesus told some of his followers in John 8 that those who listen to him will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus declared in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is another great theme of John's gospel, that, that Jesus is the true revelation of God the Father to us. Only in Jesus is the Father 
truly revealed. Only in Jesus do we know of our need to be saved, and only in Jesus do we see the only Savior we need. Because only Jesus died and rose again to forgive our sins and to save us from the wrath of God. It's the proclamation of this great truth that advances Christ's kingdom, not the sword of political power. This is the genius of Jesus' kingdom. It alone has the power to do what no earthly political kingdom can do. Think about this for a moment with me. Earthly political kingdoms control their people with laws. But while laws may be effective at controlling behavior, no law can transform a heart. Only the truth of the gospel can transform a heart. Now understand, too, that the role of government is a good one. It's instituted by God. It's power given by God. We'll see this next week in the next sermon. But it's a common grace given by God uh, that we're to uh, obey our, our uh, local official, officials so long as they're governing justly. And Jesus says that it's people who are of this truth that listen to his voice. Not people who obey the law, but they must listen to his voice. People who've been transformed by the truth of God's grace. People who listen to Jesus do so because they love him. Not because it's a rule or a law. Not because they have to. And This is what defines the people of Christ's kingdom. They don't take up the sword to advance the kingdom. They listen to Christ's voice. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, as Paul points out to us. It's a battle for truth. It's a battle for truth, for the hearts and the minds of people. Second Corinthians 10, 4 and 5 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of of God and take up every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, our battle is a battle for truth, not of territory and taking land and controlling people and making them do what we think they need to do. Christ's kingdom advances as the truth of the gospel is shared. And the gospel, of course, is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And Christ exercises his kingship as he reveals this truth to people through the proclamation of the gospel. And it's this last statement by Jesus, whoever is of the truth listens to my voice. It's this statement that also functions as an invitation to Pilate to enter Christ's kingdom how will he respond? Let's look at some kingdom responses here. Pilate in verse 38, he responds with his famous line, what is truth? And then immediately he walks away from Jesus. These are words of, of someone who denies or explains away the truth. These are not new words. They're as old as the Garden of Eden. When Satan whispered those words to Eve, did God really say, what is truth? 
anyway, right? These are the words of people who justify their lifestyle choices by rationalizing that God doesn't exist. It's what the Apostle Paul referred to in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, when he said that men by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. When I was with the teen several years ago on a mission trip to UC Berkeley, we met several atheists who shared with us their stories of uh, deconversion with us, if you will. And Do you know what they all had in common? They all started to doubt the existence of God when they began experiencing temptation to live ungodly lifestyles. It was around that time where all of a sudden, maybe there isn't a God. You see, to get rid of God helped them to sleep at night, believing that God was nothing more than a fairy tale. Gave them peace, because now they're not living in, in rebellion, because you can't live in rebellion to a fairy tale. And that's Pilate's response. So let's consider the response of the religious leaders now in verses 28 to 30. Uh, at the beginning of our text, it's really sad here to see how, how rejection of the truth can really warp a person's heart. While Jesus wasn't a political threat, he was a threat to their, their religious establishment. And they're, they're fighting to protect that. Notice the irony in verse 28. They wouldn't enter Pilate's home because they were concerned about being ceremonially unclean and unable to participate in the religious Passover festival. But they're willing to manipulate a pagan governor to do their dirty work, condemning an innocent man to death without proper due process. I mean, how sick does your heart have to be to do something like this? To outwardly say, oh, you know, we're really religious people here, you know? Uh, we, we, we can't uh, defile ourselves and, and disqualify ourselves from celebrating the, the Passover meal, but yet they're willing to condemn an innocent man to death. There's a warning here for us, church. We must be careful that our religious acts of going to church, of getting baptized, becoming a church member even, giving money to the church, participating in church activities. We need to be careful that those don't become a smokescreen for covering our own moral failings in fear of looking bad in the eyes of other people. You know, maybe they won't think I'm such a good Christian anymore if they really knew what was going on. And so you do more good stuff to kind of keep up that image, right? If this is you, there's good news for you. Repent and confess to God. We have this great promise in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not waiting for you with a pointing finger or a ruler to slap your wrists with or to give you a spanking of some sort. I don't know what that would look like. He's not, waiting. He's not angry. He's not waiting for you to get you. He's, his, his arms are wide open. And he, he invites you back to him. With arms open wide. 
confess, repent, and he will forgive you because he is gracious and loving and faithful. Consider one final response to Jesus' kingship in verse 39. Pilate, believing Jesus to be innocent and desiring to free him, he turns to a custom where one man may be released from prison at the Passover. Pilate gives the option of releasing Jesus or a man named Barabbas. It's interesting. Uh, Barabbas' name means son of a father. And Jesus, of course, is the son of the father. And they're Jesus is going to take his place. John tells us that Barabbas was was a robber. Other gospels add that he was a murderer, an insurrectionist, a man who quite literally may have participated in a plot to rebel against Roman rule. It's kind of interesting, the contrast, right? Jesus is on trial before Pilate being cast as a political threat and the people are going to choose and, and... Uh, Pilate will release to them someone who is an actual political threat where the innocent man, Jesus, is condemned. Now, I find this really fascinating to think about. Uh, One commenter uh, that I read, he reasoned that because of the type of prisoner that Barabbas was, he would have been imprisoned in the bowels of the Tower of Antonia, which is nearby uh, the, uh, the praetorium here where Jesus is on trial. It's about 1,500 feet from where the crowd was outside Pilate's governor's mansion. This commentator further reasoned that Barabbas would not have been able to hear perhaps Pilate's words but most certainly would have been able to hear the cries of the crowd from his cell deep in the bowels of that that tower prison. If that's the case, consider this. Based on dialogue between Pilate and the crowd that we find in Matthew 27, imagine what Barabbas may have heard from his prison cell if he could only hear the shouts of the crowd. Look at Matthew 27. We'll start in verse 21. Again, think about the words he hears only from the crowd. The governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And what do they say? Barabbas, right? So Barabbas is in a cell and he hears this crowd. Barabbas. And then what do they say? Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And what does the crowd say? Let him be crucified. This is what Pilate's hearing. Barabbas, let him be crucified. He said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And, and then here's the last thing the crowd says. His blood be on, our, be on us and on our children. Now think of yourself as Barabbas right now. The prison guards walking toward his cell. 
His heart's pounding. He's thinking, this is it. (laughs) I'm getting crucified. The key enters the door and it's turning and his palms start getting sweaty and then fearing death was imminent, he's given the news that Jesus is taking your place and that he is free to go. Pastor Donald Gray Barnhouse writes these words about this event. He says, Barabbas was the only man in the world who could say that Jesus took his physical place. But I can say that Jesus took my spiritual place. For it was I who deserved to die. It was I who deserved the wrath of God should be poured upon me. I deserved the eternal punishment of the lake of fire. He was delivered up for my offenses. He was handed over to judgment because of my sins. This is why we speak of the substitutionary atonement. Christ was my substitute. He was satisfying the debt of divine justice and holiness. This is why I say that Christianity can be expressed in three phrases. I deserved hell. Jesus took my hell. There's nothing left for me but his heaven. I end with these words from 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed.